Testing, testing, all right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Firehouse. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we're doing a little experiment here with the upstairs room. Uh, I think it used, to, it used to be the case they had a dance class up here, so they would dance uh, starting sometime around lunch, and they'd have class for the evening, but they don't have it anymore, so I think we're considering if this is a room we like better than the downstairs room. So uh, if you guys have uh, opinions, you know, voice them. Yeah, thumbs up. If you don't like it, thumbs down. We do notice it seems like around here we've had uh, to deal with either hot temperatures or cold temperatures. This morning, obviously, if you're sitting by the windows, qualifies as hot. Um, but Jeremy made a good point here. You know, Jesus, he, he said, be hot or cold, but just don't be lukewarm, you know. So, yeah, I, I agree with that verse that uh, we'll, uh, we'll be hot for God this morning. So, uh, anyways, uh, let's see. We are, anything else we have before we get started here? Um, we're in the last chapter of Acts. So uh, can I get an amen to that? <laughs> 28 chapters and it's probably taken as a 52 months or something. I don't know. Um, but we are wrapping it up this morning. So we're just going to look this morning at a few uh, examples from, uh, kind of some final examples from the Apostle Paul. And uh, the other thing we're going to trust that God might do is take some of this from Acts chapter 28. And um, this is the last church service we'll have until Christmas. You know, we'll have our Christmas concert or Christmas program next Sunday right here. It'll be Sunday night in this room, uh, the perspective the perspective of Christmas. So um, that should be a good time. Um, don't forget to go to rehearsal today if you're in that. So if you're not in that, pray for the rehearsal and then the performance and stuff. So... Um, but anyways, Acts chapter 28, we're going to wrap things up here, and hopefully we can take some of the things we learned from Paul's example into your Christmas season here. We've got a number of weeks we're going to be doing, um, visiting family, friends, relatives, um, and hopefully we'll come away with some things to try to, you know, to try out on family and friends here. So anyways, let's pray real quick, and we'll read uh, chapter 28 together. Okay. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for allowing us to come together this morning to gather to worship you. Um, God, we thank you that you do love, you do love us, and you love us with your uh, unfailing love, your perfect love, your love that will never change and never end. We thank you for that. And I pray this morning you would help us to um, hear from you. God, I pray that each one of us would present our, our heart as a tablet for you to write on this morning. I pray that uh, you would allow us to come away with things we can apply uh, as we step out of this room, as we walk into the next couple weeks of a Christmas breaks or vacations or whatever is going to go on, Lord, I pray that these lessons would go with us. Um, we thank you for the example you've given us in the Apostle Paul. We ask that we would be taught this morning from his life and from your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, let's see here. We're going to, if you open up to... Uh, Page 1110 in your house Bibles, 1110 and 1111. So um, the way we're going to do this this morning, instead of reading the whole chapter, uh, we're just going to, it's naturally divided into three different sections. We're going to look at one section at a time. We're going to look at some uh, things to pull out of each section, and we'll just cover those three sections here uh, one at a time. So we'll start with Acts 28, and it's the section is... Uh, one through whatever it is here. 
uh, 1 through 10 is the first section. So if I were not up to date on that, feel free to fast forward them. Um, here we go. So as, as we know, last week they kind of got shipwrecked. They crashed on the sandbar and they all swam ashore. And so here's as it continues, the continuing saga. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. Um, the islanders, that's, that's a funny name for island, I just think. Malta, Malta Meal is the first thing that comes to mind for me. Um, but anyways, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built the fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he is a from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall over dead. Uh, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Uh, there, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, or Publius, I say, um, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So just going to look at uh, one theme I see in this section. I mean, there's probably a bunch of different ones. One that God drew to my attention on this, uh, we're going to look at from Paul's life. But if you can just imagine the scene here. Um, let's see. We'll look at this first here, I think, as well. Um, you know, so they've come ashore. There's 276 of them that were on this ship. They all swam. They made it to shore. There's some uh, islanders there, or, you know, those that lived on the island, the natives uh, who lived there. They welcomed them, and they made a fire, and it was cold, and it was rainy. And it's just amazing to think that um, I just look at Paul here, and um, really the point we want to draw out from this is just we want to be... Um, Servants, we want to be servants of Christ as a way of life. And it's easy to think of being a servant as something you do on Sunday, something you do on Wednesday, something you do whenever there's a church meeting. Church meetings require church servants. But we look at Paul, and Paul is a servant uh, just as a way of life. You know, I think um, when you come to find Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, I've been working with my kids on you know, understanding what, what does Savior mean? What does Lord mean? Well, what does Lord mean? Anyone? Volunteers? Master. Master, master is what I tell my kids. You know, it's master. They understand master. They understand boss. It means, you know, the Lord is your boss. He's your master. And, and when is, if He's your Lord, when is He not your master? Well, He's never not your master. But then when are you not to be a servant? Never. Never. It's getting real confusing there. But you get the point. uh, You're always servants. You're never not a servant of the Lord. But sometimes it's easy to go, I'm a servant of the Lord at small group. I'm a servant of the Lord Sunday morning. That's my serving time. But Paul was a servant as a way of life. When you're a servant of Christ, it should be a way of life. I think it's interesting that um, he... uh, 
you know, it's, let's see how we put it here. I've got a couple different options. You know, I think serving is serving in any way that's needed. Sometimes it's easy to go, you know, if I were Paul, I'd go, hey, look, I'm the Apostle Paul. We just had a terrible crash. I'm a prisoner here anyway, so, you know, let's get the hospitality moving, folks. Um, I, I, if I get a chance, I'll preach the Word. Maybe these natives need to hear the Gospel. Maybe I can encourage someone with the Scriptures, but come on, get the fire going and get the food cooking. Let's, let's get moving. Um, but what did the Apostle Paul do? He got to work. He went and started gathering firewood. You think Paul was gifted in gathering firewood? I don't think he was. He obviously picked up a snake along the way. I mean, you think uh, to do a little better than that. But, um, but Paul just jumped right in. 276 people shipwrecked, come ashore, and Paul jumps right in and building a fire. You know, if you're a servant of Christ, you serve in any way that's needed. Is the gospel needed? Bring it. If uh, a word of encouragement is needed, bring it. If firewood is needed, bring it. Serving Christ should be a way of life, and we definitely see that in the Apostle Paul's life here. Um, you know, another way we can serve is just that uh, you can serve through your prayers. This guy is sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul goes and he prays for him. And he prays um, so that Paul can heal him. No, he prays and he asks Jesus, the great healer, to heal this man who's sick. And through his prayers, he serves others. That's another way he served him. Another thing I think about is just um, serving beyond normal expectations. You know, again, I just think Paul Paul's basically under arrest in this whole scenario. And he comes to shore. He's basically a prisoner who's headed to Rome. And he's leading the serving crew. It didn't mention anyone else serving. Not Luke, who's with him. Not Aristarchus, who's another Christian with him. It just says, hey, Paul got to work picking up wood to start a fire here. And I think if anyone would have been excused from serving, it would have been the guy who's the prisoner, the guy who's uh, going to go on trial, the guy who's, you know... Um, been shipwrecked and all these different things but Paul jumped right in and served way beyond anyone's expectations if he didn't serve that day would, would people have been offended? probably not I don't think they would have cared they'd been like you just got shipwrecked grab a seat get us some more let's get comfortable um, but, but he jumped in and was serving even beyond what you would have expected the, the Apostle Paul to you know to do so um, you know we just want to have that same attitude as, as a servant ourselves and I just want to ask you know how how are you doing I'd like us to do a little uh, maybe check your pulse how are you doing as a servant of Christ lately um, you can tell by a few things you know um, look around your environment obviously being a servant is 24 um, 7 and so how are you doing as a servant of the Lord in your workplace are you serving people? Do people know you as the guy who's picking up firewood? Um, or, or are you too important for that? How are you doing as a servant in your households? Are you serving one another there or you have more important roles? How are you doing as a servant uh, husbands? How are you doing serving your wives or your kids? Long days at work and it's easy to come home and go, I expect to be served here, not to give even more. Wives, how are you doing serving your husbands and your kids? Um, how are you doing serving in your small groups, in your house churches, in this church? I think we need to check our pulse. You know, and I've been, I feel like God's been, you know, nudging my heart on this. And as I've reviewed, I kind of go, ah, my, my pulse, my heart's not beating as fast as I thought it was in being a servant. And it's easy. Um, we recently read the, the scriptures where Peter uh, encourages, you know, um, he encourages leaders and pastors. And he just says, uh, let me read this real quick, First Peter chapter 5. And, I, you know, I just felt like the Lord is nudging my heart to 
have have my heart quickened in this area. But it says this to, to leaders. It says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing. That God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And I just remember when I became a pastor along the way, my prayer was, Lord, would you allow me to serve you as a pastor? Seems like doing it as a pastor means 24-7 and more availability. And and my heart going into it was just more ways to serve. But over the years, it's easy to go, wow, well, that's a little inconvenient there. And well, there's, you know, if I do that, then someone else won't. And, you know, it won't multiply that area. And I just feel like in some ways God wants me to get back to serving in any way that's needed, whether it's teaching, whether it's picking up firewood, um, moving chairs around, whatever the case may be. But I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how, how are you doing as a servant? Another way you can tell how you're doing is um, how do you feel, how do you respond when someone treats you like a servant? You know, we can all say servant. You know, servant sounds like such a nice thing. I want to be a servant of Christ. How do you respond when someone treats you like a slave? Well, if you're a servant of Christ, it doesn't really matter. You know, as a matter of fact, they're probably not going to treat you that way because you're probably already doing something beyond what they can ask you to do anyways, you know. But if you're kind of clinging to some riots and you serve it when it's convenient or when it's in your gifting or your passion or your skills, um, you might find that you're a little inconvenienced when someone actually treats you like a slave of Christ. And I don't think Paul was ever inconvenienced. Paul was always on the initiative serving wherever he could, even picking up firewood here. And so I just wanted to, to check our hearts on this. I think an action step we would have on this is I encourage you to give your, your families a surprise this Christmas. Surprise them. I'm not talking about a present. I'm talking about a surprise. Surprise them by serving more than you normally do this Christmas. Surprise your family, whoever you're around over the next couple of weeks. I dare you to surprise them by serving more than you normally do. Now I'm assuming we all are just crazy servants over Christmas. You know, I know we just live to serve. It's let our hair down and see how we can serve. Um, you know, I'm sure we're all like that. But my point is, why don't we surprise people and serve even more than we already do? And it's easy when we get in this Christmas mode to go like, you know, well, a lot of times we're traveling. You're coming into someone else's territory. You're kind of not on your home turf, and um, you know, in your own house, maybe someone comes to visit you, you're giving you know a pop or you. Not a punch, but uh, give them a coke or you take care of them or something like that. But um, uh, when you go to someone else's place, it's easy for them to take care of you. And it's easy to go, bring it, you know. Yeah, this is nice. I'm on vacation. Uh, but I encourage you to, to bring it to them. You're a servant of Christ. You're on duty uh, the next several weeks no matter where you are. And surprise people. Give them a surprise by serving beyond what you normally do. I think it's a, an example we see in the life of Paul just throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament here. So um, let's see here. Another thing just to keep in mind as you do this, uh, it's not a point I put down here, but God, you know, He um, He protects His servants. He honors His servants. He provides for His servants. There's tons of verses on that. But Paul was serving. He's getting firewood and a viper bites him. Um, you know, I don't know. I think most of us would expect it if you knew what type of snake it was. The natives there obviously thought that snake bites you, you puff up and die. 
You know, and it didn't happen. But I think one of the reasons why is because God, He protects His servants. And he, Paul was serving Him as a way of life and He kept them alive. And um, you see the fickleness of man there. They go from going like, He's a murderer, He got away, to He's a God, you know. And we've got to watch out for the fickleness of our own hearts this Christmas here. But, um, um, but God protects His servants. He honors them. It says at the end here, uh, they honored us in many ways. You know, Paul had served them by helping heal people, by praying for people, but God honors his servants. Jesus said, um, you know, to his disciples, imagine if he was was teaching us all this morning, he would have said to all of us, he said, you know, the greatest out of everyone in this room is going to be the greatest servant. Who's that going to be? It's not based on how much money you make. It's not based on your role or responsibility in the church. It's not based on your education. He said the greatest in this room here is going to be the greatest servant. You know, in any room he was in, that was him. But if we're growing to be more like Christ, you know, how, how are you doing it serving as being a servant of Christ? And we need to keep that in mind. Again, Paul's an awesome example to us in this. We're going to keep going to the next uh, passage here. Um, we'll keep reading. And this section is called uh, The Arrival at Rome. Just five verses. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we sailed and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putoli. There, we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So this is kind of Paul's um, arrival to Rome here. Um, this is a verse that, that really stands out to me from this passage. So they, they leave the island, they get everything they need, they're sent on their way, they move up the coast, and they land and start heading towards Rome. And I, I just really like this verse here. Um, the brothers there had heard that we were coming. They traveled as far as the form of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And there's, there's two things I see in this um, about, again, related to being a servant. But be a servant who brings thanks to God. It's kind of a double-edged point here, but um, um, these guys have traveled. You know, it says some of your Bibles may have footnotes on it, but do you know how far away uh, the three taverns was from Rome? It's 43 miles. 43 miles from Rome to this place where these 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 brothers came. Uh, others traveled. Uh, the, the forum here was 35 miles from Rome. Now, for you and I, you know, we think modern-day vehicles and cars and whatnot, you know, 35 minutes, uh, what's a half an hour or something like that, depends on the traffic. But to travel, as these brothers in Christ probably did, I, I don't imagine they had a, the latest, greatest chariots. I don't even know if they were using, a, you know, a horse or donkeys or anything like that. I have a feeling they traveled by foot, 43 miles, because they heard their brother was coming and might need some encouragement. 
But could you imagine leaving Denver and walking 43 miles because you're going to go encourage somebody? 43 miles will put you probably real close. I think if you go north, you probably get up towards Loveland there. Imagine walking from here to Loveland to go encourage um, a brother or sister in Christ. Or, you know, if you go the shorter distance, maybe you're walking to the, the forum here. Maybe you walk from here to Longmont. Or if you're walking the other direction, you're walking to what, Castle, Castle Rock or Monument or something down there. But these guys went out of their way to go encourage Paul. How did they hear he was coming? I don't know. You know, maybe through the grapevine, they, you know, they heard, hey, Paul's coming to town, our brother. He's probably fairly bummed out. He's, uh, you know, under arrest and he's been in a shipwreck. And, and these guys went out of their way to encourage him. And so... Um, I think that's the, that's one of the angles from here is that go out of your way to bless or encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family of believers. You know, the Bible says do good to everybody, but especially your family of believers. And, uh, you know, I'm always reminded, I think of this story, some of you at different points in time have probably gone out of your way to serve others. You know, how many, if I asked you, have gone out of your way ever to serve a Christian in your life would raise your hand? few of you. All right, yeah, most of you probably were the humble ones who wouldn't raise their hand. Of course not, but uh, uh, you know, um, but most of us have probably gone out of our way, and I think the point I want to make here is um, maybe uh, maybe it's time to get that story that you have about going out of your way and bring it up to date. Maybe this Christmas season you get to go out of your way in a more recent sort of thing. I'm sure we've all done it in our past and walked 43 miles just to be a blessing, um, but here's an opportunity to, to bring that up today. I think of the story one of the stories I think about is one that Bill Young tells a lot. So, I mean, he probably is going to tell it Faith Walkers this year for all I know. But um, it's a story of one year he was coming back, I think it was from a Christmas break or something like that, uh, and driving back through Nebraska, his car broke down. And um, it was snowy, it was cold, his car broke down, but one of the brothers back in Loveland, where his church was, heard about it. And he drove out there, he was a mechanic, and he drove out there, and I don't even know if he was able to fix the car, but he picked up Bill and and brought him back and maybe brought his car. You know this story at all, Sarah? No. So, so basically this guy went hours in cold and snow driving to help his brother Bill out, brought him back. Eventually I think they got the car squared away, but every time Bill tells that story about Hector, Bill cries. He shares tears about how his brother went out of his way to help him. And, uh, you know, I think that's what God wants out of us as servants to go out of our way to bless and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and I want to encourage you to look for opportunities like that this you know this Christmas break and I'm not talking about sometimes it's easy to go ah road trip that sounds fun that'd be easy you know I'm not talking about something like uh, you know Hector was probably not thinking you know I bet if I do this Bill is going to include me in his illustration for the rest of his life you know I don't think that even crossed Hector's mind I think Hector just wanted to be a blessing to his brother and, um, you know, we need to look for those sort of opportunities here and see see what God might provide. But that's, um, you know, I think that's part of being a servant who brings thanks to God. You do something and, and someone like Paul says, God, thank you for that brother and that sister. And uh, they're, they're a blessing to me. Because that's what Paul did in response to these brothers. The other way I think we can... Um, you know, bring thanks as a servant is is actually giving thanks to God for people. You know, sometimes it's easy to assume, hey, this is Christianity. This is the New Testament family. You're supposed to serve me like that. Um, that's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? 
you know, maybe, but it's supposed to be the case that you're giving thanks to God, you know, and it's easy to go, well, you know, we're, we live nearby each other, we, uh, we always see each other, I expect a little love, you know, um, but... But when's the last time you gave thanks for some of the people sitting next to you in this room, you know? Uh, I encourage you to throw a what if in there. What if, what if God removed from your life everyone who you haven't recently thanked Him for? What would your life look like? Would you be alone sitting in a room? Nobody to complain about? Nobody to grumble about? Um, but what if the other thing was true? What if everyone and everything you gave thanks for God blessed and blessed them even more? It seems like the way Jesus did. You know, he, I remember different times he took the bread, the little bits of bread, he gave thanks for it, and what happened? It was blessed and it multiplied. You know, what if every person you gave thanks for somehow was blessed because of your giving thanks to God for them? Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, I thank God for that. But do you really? Sometimes we find that in our conversation. My wife will say, oh, I thank God. And I say, you know, okay, let's thank God. You know, it's, it's easy to say I thank God, but when was the last time you genuinely thank God for some of the people in your life? And I encourage you maybe to take a step. Paul is real deliberate. Throughout the New Testament, Paul says, hey, he's writing a letter to someone. He says, by the way, I thank God every time I remember you. You think it was a cliche to Paul? I don't think it was. And the other thing is I think you'll find a little vicious cycle here to get going. Um, if you are thanking God for people, it's highly likely you're going to go out of your way to bless and encourage them. And if you bless and encourage them, then they're, you know, it's probably going to get this vicious cycle that spins out of control. Blessing and encouragement for everyone. But if you have a habit of being critical towards someone or, or complaining about them, you know what you're probably never going to do? is go way out of your way to bless and encourage them. You really can't do both. If you're complaining or grumbling about someone in your heart, even right now, um, you really need to repent and turn that into giving thanks for that person and, and watch a vicious, crazy cycle here. I think this is even better than like a nuclear reaction or something here. Just get in this crazy encouragement cycle and see what happens there. But if you're not giving thanks for people... Um, you probably might be leaning more towards complaining and being critical and definitely not serving them. Um, but if you get serving, you know, I just think it's going to spin out of control. And I think we should experiment with that this Christmas and see if any explosions happen or something here. Um, let's look at this last passage here. So, this one is 17 through 31, and really we're just going to draw one point on this and wrap it up. The timeline's good. Okay. I'll take time for the next point. Sounds good. All right. Let's see here. So Paul preaches at Rome under guard. Three days later, this is after he arrives at Rome. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When, he, uh, when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me but be, um, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. Uh, for this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with these chains. 
They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that this people everywhere, uh, we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them uh, the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught um, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see here. You know, in some ways I thought about uh, this section or even this whole teaching kind of being titled something like When in Rome. You know, you've heard the old saying before, when in Rome, do like the Romans, is that right? Something like that. We, we joked with Greg Miller, he did a project up in Nome, Alaska. We said to him, when in Nome, do as the Nomans. Um, he, he chuckled a little bit on that, I think. But uh, anyways, I don't know, there was not much to do in Nome, I don't think. So. That's what you did, not much. So, um, so in Rome, you know, there's that saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans. And in some, that's not a, in the Bible, just for the record, um, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it's like the Romans were these crazy partier people. So when you're in Rome, party up. You know, when in Vegas, do what they do in Vegas. You know, um, but that's obviously not biblical. Paul says something like, "Do all things to all people, um, as long as it doesn't violate following Christ." You know, do as much as you can to find common ground. When in Rome, do what you can to find common ground. But you're still following Christ. You're still a servant of Christ, regardless of where we are. Um, but I'd like to think of this section. You know, kind of like. If you looked at Paul's life and how he lived it out, you might say something like, When in Rome and under house arrest, preach the gospel to as many lost people as you can and be really encouraging to your believers, uh, your fellow believers. You know, because that's what, that's what Paul did. You know, he was, uh, I think it's funny, three days after he arrives at his place, he's going to be under house arrest and evidently in some chains still. Um, three days later, he has a packed out house of Jews and he's sharing the gospel with them, telling them about how Jesus was the Savior who was to come. And, you know, in the end, some of them didn't like that message and they left. And he said, okay, now I'm going to share with those who aren't Jews. And he spent two years sharing about the kingdom of God and sharing about Jesus Christ. And um, he also, some of you, you know, might know that he authored several of the letters in the New Testament. Several of the epistles were written while he's under house arrest in Rome. He wrote uh, Philemon. 
He wrote to the Colossians, Ephesians, and the Philippians. All while he was under house arrest. So if you just think about it, this guy's, you know, house arrest, I don't know what you picture. It's probably not like what happened to, there's that guy in Switzerland that the U.S. is trying to bring him back and bring him to trial, and he's on house arrest at his chalet in the Swiss Alps or something like that. I don't think that's what Paul's situation was quite like. But whatever it was like, he was using it to his advantage to, to preach the gospel, and he wrote three, uh, you know, some of those might include some of your favorite epistles in the New Testament, the Philippians or Colossians or some of these, but he wrote to strongly encourage and build up brothers and sisters in Christ. And, um, you know, to me, I think um, one thing that just stands out to me is just kind of this idea that if Paul can find a way to boldly preach to the lost while being under house arrest, and if he can find a way to greatly encourage believers while being under house arrest, how much more should you and I be able to be unhindered as we carry out the Great Commission? None of us is under arrest. And I guess you could say, well, if I was ever under house arrest, I'd write people and be encouraging. Well, probably not if you're not doing it now. You know, you're not going to all of a sudden show up in prison and be like, I just really want to encourage people, you know. Um, if that's not a way of life, it won't be a way of life then. But same with sharing the gospel. You know, Paul didn't all of a sudden decide, I'm really bored under house arrest. I should find a way to preach the gospel to people. He did that as a way of life. And I think in some ways the devil was trying to put him, you know, kind of squench what he was doing as a fact. And he put him under house arrest and as many people who can fit in the house he's sharing the gospel with and if that's how he's living while in chains how much more should you and I be able to get the gospel out in a way that's unhindered you know this Christmas season we're going to see a lot of friends and family and um, no one's probably going to throw us in jail if we bring up our faith or if we share about the Christ of Christmas um, we have a lot of opportunities here but I think just Paul's example is amazing to us and, and how much more should we be unhindered as we share um, about Jesus Christ with others. And so, uh, on that note, I just want to just kind of uh, wrap up here and just a quick review of some things we've seen in Acts. You know, we started off Acts 1-8 um, and just talked about, it says, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and all Judea and um, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth was not like, you know, to some faraway island that nobody knew about or something, but to the ends of the earth was to the ends of, uh, you know, as far as from Jerusalem, Paul was able to reach places that the gospel had never been before or new kind of frontiers with the gospel. Um, but, you know, um, I think, let me see here, just going to review some thoughts here. One, I was reading this um, in closing, just there's a guy, uh, uh, William McDonald, some of you know, he's got a book back there on the table. He wrote the book True Discipleship. And He's got commentary on the, you know, the New Testament stuff that we appreciate in our movement of, of churches here, but he wrote a few things about the life of the, from, the, from the book of Acts. I just wanted to read a few comments that jumped out at me here, and, and we'll uh, get ready for baptism here. But he says this um, about the New Testament church, the first century Christians. He said, first, it's obvious that the first century Christians lived first and foremost for the interests of the Lord Jesus. Their whole outlook was Christ-centered. The primary reason for their existence was to witness for the Savior, and they gave themselves to this task with vigor. In a world which was engaged in a mad struggle for survival, there there was a hard core of zealous Christian disciples who sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
To them, everything else was subordinated to this glorious calling. Just think about these Christians. These disciples back at the very beginning of the church were... It was like we're, we're on the planet. They kind of had the impression they're on the planet to share about Christ. Otherwise, he would probably just take them to heaven and, and it would be done. But they saw the reason for existing was to share about the Savior. You know, has our reason for existing changed over the years? Has God said, oh, by the way, in future generations, chill out, have fun, get the word out if you can? We're still supposed to be on the same mission that these guys started out on and that Paul finished his life running. Um, and it's about putting Christ first and being a witness for Him as one of our primary reasons for existing. Another thing it says about a little bit about their prayer life I'm, you know, as we look back to the early parts of Acts you might remember some of their devotedness to prayer but it says this the early church was addicted to prayer it was the lifeline with God the prayers were earnest believing and fervent the disciples also fasted in order that their powers might be concentrated on spiritual matters without distraction or drowsiness I just love that phrase the early church was addicted to prayer and that's an awesome example to us Um, one of the last things that that I want to read here that he, he wrote as he was summarizing the book of Acts here again William McDonald says this a final and lasting conviction that flows from studying Acts is this if we were to follow the example of the early church in faith sacrifice devotedness and tireless service the world could be evangelized in our generation I want to repeat that again. A lasting conviction that flows from studying Acts is this. If we were to follow the example of the early church in faith, sacrifice, devotedness, and tireless service, the world could be evangelized in our generation. And, you know, just to close, I think um, uh, this new year that we're coming into, I think it'd be good to just think about what they did back in the book of Acts in some way there's a, there's a ministry out there that talks about Acts chapter 29 it's like there's Acts 28 and well we are all living out Acts chapter 29 and I think that's a fine concept and stuff but you know really what I think is that uh, we're at a place where we as the church need to have a revolution and we need to get back to Acts chapter 1 and I think Acts chapter 29 and 30 and some of those I think are probably fairly watered down from what we see in Acts chapter 1 and, and revolution I'm not talking about uh, you know a big uprising and rebellion and you know the orange revolution or something I don't, I'm not talking about that I'm talking about more of a revolution of making another cycle making completing the cycle again and we went from Acts 1 to Acts 28 and let's go back again to Acts 1 and you know I think um if we get back to Acts 1, I think through the faith walkers in this new year, I really think God wants to bring us full cycle and come back around to um, being envisioned again, catching the vision. Jesus was leaving and going to heaven, and he says, by the way, I want you to witness to the world. Um, and we need to catch that vision again. The vision hasn't changed. Reaching the world with Christ in this generation uh, is what we've been called to do. They've been probably the first century church was probably the closest ones to ever doing that. Some would even say they, they reached their world at the time. But our generation is called to do this still. And, and are we are we willing to? We need to get in passion again. The first testament, the first testament church. I'm saying um, the New Testament church was uh, in passion. Their love for God drove them to get the word out to obey. Sometimes people think, oh, if you have a love for the lost, you'll share with them. They didn't share because of their love for the lost. They shared because of their love for the Lord. And He said, hey, go reach the lost for me. 
And we need to get impassioned again. We need to get empowered again, just living in a spirit-controlled life. Um, and then maybe we need to embark on this great mission once again. But these are some things I encourage you to think about as we go to Faith Walkers. I looked at some of the teaching titles there. And there's going to be some things that could uh, relight the fire again in our hearts and get back to our first love and get back on the mission that we were given with the, the resources we were given and the passion that's needed. And I'm hoping that God will just take us full cycle as a church and um, just bring a crazy momentum into this new year here. So anyway, that's something to think about and join me in praying about. And if you go to Faith Walkers, watch for some of these themes showing up of um, you know what, what God might want to do with our church this new year. And as we continue on this building project, you know, how it might stir our hearts for building this kingdom even more. We're going to take a, a quick break here and we're going to pull in... Um, we're going to shift gears and go into baptism here. Um, and so we're going to take a second to see, make sure everyone's got baptism, like you got the hang of it, the understanding. We're going to do some baptisms today. Uh, we're going to invite uh, the three people that are getting baptized this morning. We're going to have them come up. We're going to pray for them. Uh, we'll introduce them. We'll pray for them. And then we'll... Uh, Get ready to kind of close things down here and head. We're going over to Jeff and Grace's house, uh, to the Weemans there, to do the baptism. we got the cattle tank uh, ready to rock and roll there. So um, anyways, uh, take like a minute's break here. Say hi to your neighbor. Uh, practice your memory verse. If you, if you want to, you know, you might even just share with your neighbor something that God put on your heart from this Acts 28. And parents, if you wouldn't mind grabbing, taking a minute or two, grab your kids and bring them right back in here, and then we'll wrap up with the, the baptism part here so take take a two minute break <laughs>